With me, your host Andy White, and with me today, Martin Theobald. Tell me. <laughs> I n- no, Tell me that your sweet love <laughs> never dies. That's almost as good as Sweet Caroline. <laughs> and, I've listened to it in the car, apologies. And with us, uh, via Skype, is the awesome Terry Chapandama. How are you doing, Terry? Ah, oh, it's just living the rural dream right now. Why does Terry get awesome? Just... I'm Terry... still sat here. Because Terry is awesome. <laughs> Every, everyone knows how awesome you are from that singing just then. So. <laughs> Benchmarks. Yeah. Um, right, so, thank you very much for joining us. We've got um, a fairly packed um, show for you today. Uh, I feel like we might get a few rants. Are there rants on the uh, horizon mm, from you two today? No, nothing too big for mind. Uh, oh. A few crosswords, maybe. Yeah, I'm expecting something from you, actually, Terry, from what you said just before we started recording. So, but I guess the most uh, logical place to start is Ward Kovalev. Now, Terry, you said it split the boxing community, this result. Oh, wow. Um, you know, and it didn't just split people. There's no moderation here. You either think, either think Ward deserved it or you think Kovalev got robbed. It's like the Scottish referendum or the Scottish like in-out referendum. Like there are families not talking to each other now. They're, uh... <laughs> yeah, it's serious. Kovalevites. <laughs> yeah, no, the, it, it, but 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 it's weird. So so the split, normally the split tends to be quite random, but the split this time seems to be boxing people versus boxing fans. Because most people that you look at in terms of you know ex-fighters, trainers are okay with Ward winning. They can see why Ward would win. A lot of the fans, and let's not call them casuals, it's not fair, are of the view that Kovalev won. And the general discussion focuses on, on the knockdown. Now, my take on the knockdown was much that Paulie Malinaji. If you watch the knockdown again, Ward makes one mistake, and his mistake was to have his right leg further left than his left leg. So when he got hit, he had no balance point on the right-hand side to absorb the shock of the punch. So he basically got knocked over by a punch that, had he had his feet set properly, he would have taken all day. So I don't I don't put too much stock on that. And if you look how well he came back from it, you know, outside the first four rounds, I don't think Kovalev showed much in the way of dominance anyway. Why did you see it? Yeah, no, I was up this morning at uh, half three. Um... Yeah, it's such an odd one. I saw a tweet today that uh, that made me chuckle. It said um, that perhaps Kovalev won the popular vote, but Andre Ward won enough for the Electoral College, <laughs> <laughs> which I think seems to sum it up quite well. Um, yeah, it was such a close fight. It was a good fight. It was an enjoyable fight. Um, Kovalev was just chasing shadows, though, for six, seven rounds. Um if not more, I mean, Ward, it was a real case of finding his rhythm uh, and finding his timing, his cadence, all of that. 
in that he just didn't have it for the first four rounds. And you could see off that first stiff jab that Kovalev landed, that Ward's head went back. I think his nose got bloodied off of it. And I think that put Ward off his rhythm early on into the fight, uh, feeling that power of Kovalev. But, it, you know, after the knockdown, there was maybe one round again where Kovalev was on top. And then it kind of evened out. And then by the end, Ward was... You know, he'd figured it out. He'd figured out how to beat Kovalev. And it was just a matter of him, you know, almost toying with him in a way. Because Kovalev was just chase, literally chasing him around the ring. He wasn't... Again, if you go back and look at, like, Gennady Golovkin, the way that he cuts the ring off, it's very different to how Kovalev fights, in that Kovalev walks after the opponent. And Ward's too tricky, too slick, he's too savvy. Uh, and he was... He was just outsmarting Kovalev by the end of it. I... I can't see how anyone can call it a robbery. Whether you think Kovalev won by a round or Ward won by a round, fair enough. Like Either way, I don't think you could particularly argue the point too heavily. But for the people that call it a robbery, I just think that's mad. Like Just accept that it was a very, very close fight and it had to go one way or the other or fall down the middle. Okay. Um, so, so this, this whole thing has... It's leaving a bad taste in the mouth, much like the the U.S. election that Marty referred to earlier. It's even a horrible taste in the mouth because people are now saying things like, "Ah, oh, you know, the way Ward box is a cancer on the sport." And I'm trying to say to myself, "How are you going to fight a man who's bigger than you, that has more power than you, and has longer arms than you? How, how are you going to do that other than to get inside and make it a different kind of boxing bout? You know." You know, and I guess the the rise of the the bloggers and the face, the YouTube video blogs and all of this has created this myth that you have to have a toe-to-toe battle at range and everyone's got superhuman power. The truth is, Kovalev is one of a handful of fighters who can genuinely detonate with either hand. And Ward is a guy who we know finds solutions to problems, and I think we should respect that. And we should give the man the credit for finding a way to come back in that fight where, you know, he couldn't. In the same way that we gave Groves a lot of credit for coming back from the Jack fight after being put down. Yeah, I think undoubtedly Kovalev's is the more pleasing on the eye um, out of the two. If you want to see somebody stand and have a fight, that's Kovalev. Ward... I suppose the biggest criticism would be that he does that against everyone. Sullivan Barrera, he kind of, you know, took the same approach. There isn't... He kind of has the the same style, the same method. He applies it differently dependent on the opponent. But Uh, doesn't that make him a fighter of greater skill and greater... Absolutely. So, so even if you look at the fight as it was and don't necessarily see him winning, at least... Surely you should be able to sit back and think, well, Ward probably deserves it just because he is the better fighter. Um, I mean, it's harsh to say he's the better fighter. I mean, you know, based on last night, maybe you can say he is, but it's not a definite. Just as the, you know, the scores were so close that, as I say, anyone who thinks it's a robbery is frankly mad. Um, you know, you might, as I say, you might disagree with it, but I don't think you can say it was it was a robbery by any means. It's a very flippant term that people can use now. So, do we foresee uh, a rematch at all? Cathy uh, Duva, who is um, Kovalev's uh, promoter, said that there is a rematch clause in the contract that uh, unless... I can't remember what the terming is, but essentially if 
um, one of them activates it, then the rematch goes ahead, and she said that uh, that it will go ahead. And the way that rematch clauses go ahead nowadays is that they get... Um... <laughs> they... You have to cancel it three times before you're allowed for it to happen. <laughs> and then quit boxing forever. And then come out testing positive for crack or fucking whatever. Um Right, so have, have we got anything else to say about this? It kind of it seems if some for the most part, but um, Terry. Yeah, so so just just from my perspective, and I hope the line holds for this. I did like Kovalev's jab because it's an incredibly smart way that he boxes, where he pumps the right shoulder into his opponent to generate that almost that pendulum effect, and then he shoots the jab straight back down the pipe. And what it does is it amplifies the force of the jab. And you could see that Ward couldn't cope with it because the problem you have is because he hits so hard, whenever Kovalev pumps that right shoulder in, you're bracing yourself for a right hand. And then that leaves you perfectly lined up for that jab to come straight down the middle. Um, my own view is if there was a rematch, it would be a lot more decisive for Ward because I think a lot of the battles he had to win and they were psychological. Could he cope with Kovalev's strength? Could he cope with Kovalev's power? And let's not forget, Ward is still growing into that 175 weight class because if you looked at his body, he didn't look like he was bursting out of his skin. He looked quite watery, which suggests to me that he's probably capable of making 168, you know, with very little notice. Yeah, no, I agree in terms of if there were a rematch. I think it would be a more comfortable Ward victory in the sense that he spent the first half of that fight figuring Kovalev out. Um, and then by the time he did it, he made relatively easy work of it. I think, you know, going into, if there were a rematch, as Terry says, A, he's got over the psychological um, hurdles. But B, he also knows, you know, what the, the key is to success now. Um, and why, what makes you think <clears throat> there would be any difference between those last six rounds and a rematch? Kovalev didn't show uh, the ring... Nouse, and I don't think he got the help out of his corner, John David Jackson. From what you could hear uh, in between rounds, there wasn't any great, smart advice that they were offering Kovalev, um, you know, to be able to change how the fight was going. I think that's disappointing, um, in a sense of you'd hope that they would be able to offer some insight, some variance on what he's doing, but they didn't at all. Uh, you know, I think the issue was they basically dusted off the the playbook they had for Hopkins and when just do a little <laughs> bit more of everything we should be able to win this one not realizing Ward has two hands unlike Hopkins who has one so you know they got caught out and I, I, something that people sleep on about Kovalev is he likes to jab a lot to the body to take the sting out of you and just to discourage you but every time he tried it with Ward Ward was countering with that left hook that kept catching him in and around the head. So then after a while, Kovalev was like, forget this body work, you know, I don't need to be catching those left hooks. And then he, he'd, he'd then try and work upstairs a lot, which in the second half of the fight just played into Ward's hands. Yeah, it seems a bit premature perhaps to ask where each of them go from here, given that we think there might be a rematch, but maybe instead, what sort of impact will this, will this fight and maybe the rematch have on, on their careers going forward? Uh, I suppose that's, that's, to some extent, the same question in different guys, but do you know what I mean? Well, one thing I put up on Twitter earlier was who would people want Ward to face next? 
with the offers of Golovkin at a catchweight, Kovalev or Adonis Stevenson. Um, and the Kovalev rematch got over half the votes, and then it was Golovkin, then Stevenson came last out of the uh, the available options. I think people just want to see Golovkin fight again, don't they, already, like, after the... I think you want to see Golovkin take a risk. Um, yeah. And that's what it would be, is to, you know, step up to super middle, and as Terry said, Andre Ward looks capable of getting back down there, possibly. Um, find some way that could happen, but... Yeah, I think the Kovalev rematch is a... A logical bout. Terry? I, I'd i like to see Ward versus Adonis Stevenson, and then I'd like to see Kovalev face Artur Baturbiev, and let the winners of those two fights face each other. Because that will give us clarity at 175. After after the winners of those two fights fight, there'll be no further questions. Um, I, I, I think Kovalev is doing a bit of what a Klitschko did. He's letting his ego rule his head. I think he'll have to watch the fight back and go, Ward can only get better, and I don't think Kovalev can get any better. So what would be different? I, I'd, I'd look for I'd look for an alternative route. I still think Kovalev one day will move up to cruiserweight, and time's not on his side, so he might consider that as an option. Ward... He's done it at 175. I don't think, unless he can tempt DeGale or Groves up to 175, I don't think there are any money fights there for him. Stevenson will make okay money, but he doesn't want to be wasting his time with guys like Pascal or Cleverly, for example. <laughs> Just got his car now. Can't step up, no worries. <laughs> well, well, no, no, but there's a, there's a point here that says, look how quickly they made Kovalev versus Ward. No promoter has an excuse now. No boxer has an excuse for ducking. Because I mean, these guys did it, and they all made money from it. It wasn't a, a huge event, though, was it? It's a sad thing. Is that it didn't... I'd, I'd, like, I'd be interested to see the pay-per-view numbers from America when they come out. But for having two of the best fighters in the world, certainly you know the two best within their division, it just... You know, there was a lack of excitement a lack of hype around it that um you know <laughs> is what do you want out of boxing i suppose eddie hearn manages to generate huge money huge finance out of anthony joshua versus eric molina i don't know you know nobody's ever going to know for certain what the balance sheets are coming off the back of that and coming off the back of ward kovalev but i'd, I'd hasten to guess that uh, that hearn's probably making the more money sadly i feel like the whole boxing landscape is some weird, almost manipulate, sort of like reflective of some weird manipulated economy where, you, you know, you starve an entire state and then all you give them is porridge. Everyone eats the porridge and they go, they love porridge. You know, that's, it, they just starve people of, of decent fights and then fix Anthony Joshua up with some, to borrow your phrase, Latvian taxi driver. Yeah. <laughs> and then, well, he, then he wins and then it sells out because people just want to see... In the end, it's about just seeing the big fighters fighting. And it becomes almost pointless to try and hope that they're going to take on a big risky fight. BT Sport may change that. We'll see. Oh, we hope so. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bizarre thing about boxing fans, where boxing fans are 100% opinion, 0% principle. So, you know, <laughs> g g g you know, give the American fans their credit. They will, they will tell you if someone's ducking. So they will say, look, if Ward doesn't move up a weight class to fight Kovalev, we can't take him seriously as a pound-for-pound pound master. 
That's what they were saying. For, for, for years, they were saying he needs to move up and fight at 175. He's cleaned up 168. What is he still doing there? But in the same breath, these same fans will then say, uh, you know, let Golovkin get all the belts. He doesn't have to move up yet. Let him get all the belts. So then you wonder, what, what do these guys really want? You know, because personally, I think those fights out Ward Kovalev, because the rematch will make even more money. So both of them do well out, out of any potential rematch. And instead of building these fights, match these guys when it's a 50-50 fight, let them fight, let someone win, have the rematch. You double your money every time. Okay, can we move on to Shields versus Cruz? Happy? Um, saw it? Sure. Yes. I, I, I watched it. And I've said on this podcast, I've said I've said two main things on this podcast. I've said number one, women's boxing is something that's on the rise, and I've also said number two, it's not quite a product that the public are willing to pay for. And I think the fight yesterday demonstrated why. So just to clarify, Clarissa Shields has paid fifty thousand dollars to box on Saturday, and she was earning more than some of the more accomplished guys on that bill. Um, Foncha Cruz was on 10 grand and to be honest she looked like she had taken the fight with three days notice I'm not going to lie she didn't look in the best of shape Shields looked in reasonable shape but neither of those two should be boxing at super middleweight because they're, they're, they don't look athletic and they didn't look like they could carry the four two minute rounds it wasn't even three minute rounds which I think would have turned the event into a farce. So we're faced with a question when it comes to women's boxing. What do we do? Do we wait? Do, do we have it bubbling underground and have it to a point where these women, these elite women, these Olympians, these gold medalists can do four three-minute rounds at a high level of quality? Because, and if you can get the fight on YouTube, by all means, watch it. It's entertaining, but it's not something you'd pay for because it was essentially two women swinging wildly at each other you didn't get a sense that there was any boxing logic behind it and that's down to one of two things well it's down to one main thing actually and it's down to at Olympic level the women are trained to box intensely for four two minute rounds the way to make them slow down and think is to go actually you're going to do four three minute rounds and all of a sudden you have to focus on your jab you have to do some more work to the body instead of having these two minute you know, free-for-alls, which, while entertaining and novel, aren't really what fans are going to pay for. So, I guess my conclusion is, Clarissa Shields is either in for a very short professional career, or she's going to have to find somewhere in the shadows to develop her skill set. Turning up out of shape and looking like, you know, not have a great amount of... Uh boxing now sounds to me like they've gone to the ian lewis and school of uh, boxing preparation <laughs> that was that was ridiculous he was ridiculous but one, one, one of the interesting things though was seeing barry hunter and patrice harris in in Foncho cruz's corner so she's coming out of the headbangers gym which is a home of the peterson brothers um william monroe jr occasionally adrian broner robert easter jr Gravante Davis trains out of there as well. So she she's in a damn good stable. If you're ever going to learn how to box, that is where you're going to learn how so to why, box. What, so if, like, let's say if Cruz was given three days' notice, then you forgive the fact that she isn't necessarily up to scratch, potentially. 
Um, but what, Clarissa Shields, how long did she have to prepare for this fight? Well, she's been in training. She, she had the Olympics, maybe a couple of weeks off, but she's been in training since. Um, you know, this has been, this has been mooted since the Olympics that she was going to take time off to try the pro thing. So, so she's been in the gym. And if you follow on Instagram, you'll know she's pretty much been in the gym. And let's, let's Fonte Cruz is not a slouch. She was just unlucky to be in the same generation as Clarissa Shields. She was a GB, uh, sorry, GB, US Olympian. Yeah, yeah had she been British, she'd have taken Savannah Marshall's place in the Olympics. She's uh, good. The, what I'm trying to establish, though, is why were they looking so out of shape? If this is their big sort of, you know, it just seems, it screams to me of a lack of professionalism, which I suppose well, you could then say at least the women's game is catching up with the men's game. <laughs> well, well, they just didn't have to make weight. Clarissa Shields boxing the Olympics in 75. And the thing about the amateurs is you want to be a weight that you can make over the course of a tournament. So that's your tournament weight. That's not necessarily your one-off fighting weight. So I would have expected her to come in around 71, 72 kilos and she would have been in far better shape. And probably the same thing with Foncho Cruz as well. You've got to come in at those levels because you're only weighing in once and then you don't have to weigh in for a few months. Uh, I, I, yeah, okay. Uh, <clears throat> um... So what was the result of this? So Shields won 40-36. Um, I, th I think they were just always going to give it to her because I thought Cruz won the last round and she was unlucky to, to, to almost get whitewashed like that. Uh, Perez versus Hooker. Darlies Perez, who we'll know from fighting Anthony Crawler. Um... Andy Crawler was very, very unlucky in their first bout and then uh, stopped him in the second. He was renowned as a uh, a bit of a, a banger. So he's moved up now to super lightweight, light welterweight, whatever you want to call it. And uh, he's in there against Tucker, who was the home fighter. And Perez like gave him a bit of a beating and Hooker didn't know what to do at all. And uh, on the back of the... I mean, Hooker's the Rock Nation fighter as well. So, make no mistake, Perez was brought in as the away fighter. Uh, and Perez just... He controlled everything within that fight. Um, and it got scored as a draw in the end. It was um, like an absolute horrendous scorecard. I won't go into me Like, go and watch it. It was... It was just horrible that Perez would get done like that um, through being the away fighter, essentially. That's what it came down to. So if anyone out there thinks was protesting that Kovalev got robbed within his fight, like go and watch that fight and you will see what it looks like when one fighter controls it and still doesn't get the win. Did you see it, Did you see it Terry? Um, no, no. That's one of the fights I missed. So I, there's, there's not really much I can say to comment on that. But, you know, you know, support Martin's point. You know, Rock Nation are investing in a stable of fighters. I imagine Maurice Hooker is one of them. Yep. And so he was always likely to be looked upon favorably. <laughs> um, the worrying thing is he doesn't I hate that. Much of I absolutely record, hate so. this. <laughs> the looking on fate. Are you talking about the result of the fight? Yeah. <laughs> I hate that about boxing. I really, really do. There you go. It's, right. uh, it's part and parcel, yeah, even really on the biggest stages. It. Sorry to cut you off, Terry. Go on. No, I was just going to say, but, you know, he'll come unstuck at some point because Dalis Perez is the sort of guy you're meant to be walking through because he's not a 140 fighter. So expect Maurice Hooker to be exposed at some point. 
Right, um, George Groves fought um, and he completely outclassed. What's this guy's name? Gooknicked. Okay. I'm Whether I pronounce that rightly or wrongly, <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'll sure. But, uh... He completely outclassed him, did he not? Yeah, he. You know, you know, I think we need to start by saying this is George Groves, one of the three most gifted fighters in the super middleweight division. You know, people laugh when I say this, but he was unlucky twice against Froch. You know, there was, you know, if you total up the rounds boxed, he was probably ahead on those. He was unlucky against Badu Jack. You know, he came back strongly in that. And he's proved consistently he is up there as a fighter. So he was levels above, I think it's Edwin Goodnecht, you know, who's still his, his claim to fame is beating Golovkin in the amateurs. And having which an is almost da- unpronounceable which is damning name. Which faint praise. But, you know, Groves is just hurting him for fun. You know, didn't take too many risks in going for the knockout, but knew he wasn't going to lose. So the lad took a 12-round sustained beating, then had to go to hospital with swelling on the brain. And instead of talking about George Groves and what he does next, we're all praying that, you know, Mr. Goodnecht is fine. And, you know, it's... It's a bit of a slap in the face for the sport of boxing because we, we've barely got over Nick Blackwell. If you remember Martin speaking very well and very fondly of meeting Nick Blackwell last week, you know, here's another reminder of A, how good post fight medical care is in boxing, but also a reminder that we're drifting into a very bad place in boxing and we need to step back from that. These types of mismatches are incredibly dangerous. Um,. And I had this conversation with somebody on Twitter. They were defending it as this guy had a reasonable record. And this was... uh, What my point was to him was that, look, George Groves, we know what level George Groves is at in that he's only ever lost to the top super middleweights of the era. So Carl Froch and then Badu Jack. Um, So taking on this good neck fella does nothing for him in my view whatsoever. So... He's now mandatory for the WBA because this was a WBA eliminator. And this guy's point was that, well, actually, you know, like this is an eliminator. This isn't the kind of fight that George Grove should be in. Like, that guy had nothing at all other than the chin of a hippo. Like, other than that, there was nothing going on for him. He never had Groves in trouble. And it pissed me off, like, so badly when you hear Richie Woodall and the other guy that was on commentary, whose name escapes me, Dan <laughs> and someone. You're getting pissed off with the media. I don't, I don't buy it. <laughs> but when they were going on about, I think it was the 10th or 11th round, and at that point they're saying, you know, from here it would be good if Gutnick gets to see this fight out rather than gets stopped, um, you know, because that's what a fighter wants. A fighter shouldn't be the one that decides what a fighter wants when he's in the ring in that state because he could not see shots coming because his eye was almost completely, if not completely, closed up. He could not see the George Groves punches coming and he was taking a sustained beating. At that point, the referee... Fat Terry O'Connor needs to jump in there and just call it off. Like, Why does this happen? Why does this still continually happen? I don't know. Like Normally, you know, Victor Lachlan... He's not to blame for what happened with Nick Blackwell. He's not to blame for what happened with Mike Tell. To me, Terry O'Connor was to blame for the damage that Goodneck took. Now, you could say maybe his corner should have pulled him out and shown some compassion. That's certainly a point. Um, but Terry O'Connor is there, remember, to also protect the fighters and keep them safe. 
he wasn't keeping Gutnick safe because Gutnick could not defend himself properly. There was literally no way he was going to win that fight. He wasn't even pot-shotting and having an opportunity to, you know, knock out George Groves in the 11th or 12th. He was... His face was battered and he's ended up collapsing after the fight and ended up going to hospital. Of course he has, because he was taking a beating that he didn't have to take. And, like, he's a fighter. He will stand in there in the ring. He would have stood there for another five rounds, probably, because that's his nature. But the referee's job is to protect the fighters as well, and he failed. Let me ask you both uh, a question here. Like, where... Why is there not a pragmatism in boxing of... By, I would have thought if you if you're um, a boxing, I'll, I'll tell you why because there's this massive cultural norm that says once you get in the ring, the only way you should be allowed out of that ring is either on a stretcher or victorious. Like, oh, yeah. so, you know, so that's just it, that's just a culture that's dangerous within the sport so, that needs sorry, to be broken. Um, think of right? the stick Kel Brook got when his corner threw the towel in, but that was a that was the right thing to do. And that's yeah, the model of how boxing should be. That was in the immediacy, though. I think afterwards, people understood, didn't they? Especially when you've got things like Nick Blackwell, not even in the distant past, hanging over us. I just don't understand why, if you're a if you're a trainer, if you're a well, especially a trainer, and you've worked with this boxer through X amount of time, and you know, like the good next corner must have known that George goes before the fight was a level above their fighter. So when he gets to the 7th, 8th, ninth round, or whatever part it was where they decided, by the sounds of things, by the 7th round, they decided, well, actually, we can't win this fight now unless Goodnet knocks George Groves out or George Groves, you know, uh, busts a kneecap or something. The, the fact is, he's going to lose. So why not just throw the towel in that point? Uh, instead of hoping for a miracle, essentially. I don't, I don't get it, because pro- you're gambling with someone's future, their health. Their life. Yeah. It should have been thrown in by the 9th or 10th. Like but it those... just seems continually happen. It's not just last night. My sort of gripe is with the entire sport. I just... It's a... Like, it's it's a stupid um, cultural sort of norm that's, that's hanging over the, a sport and making um, it look more barbaric guys, so than so it needs to be. So let me take a step back and, and break down where this is all coming from. It comes from this idea that you let fights marinate. Um, so you stop people of relatively equal ability fighting each other until much later in their careers when they should actually be fighting each other consistently. That makes it safer for both fighters. So what ends up happening is you get these mismatches where you know, you've know you got Latvian taxi drivers jumping in with, with vicious punches who do nothing all day other than train to knock people out. And that's where you get the health risks. So this is a promoter's issue. You know, they try and tell us we need these fights to build someone up. It's absolute nonsense. You know, the whole point of most guys who come up the amateurs, you fight people with a similar record to yourself. You fight people of similar ability to find out who's better. If you beat that guy, you move up a level. He doesn't until he beats someone at his level. And as well as... You need to get back to that in the professionals because I can see them banning boxing at some point because this is getting dangerous. As well as being the promoters, it's also the governing bodies. So... Why did the WBA sanction that as a final eliminator for their world title? Like, if you look at that on paper, you'd say there is no point in this fight. Like, don't get me wrong, Goodneck has only been stopped once in his career. He's got a handful of losses, but he's never fought at the level of Groves. If you were to pick it out on paper and say who's going to win this, you'd probably say Groves are going to win it fairly convincingly. To the point that we actually forgot last week that this fight was on, and we didn't preview it. 
Um, so it's, I'm not saying it's a relevant fight, but it was always a fight that Groves was going to win. And to that end, like, why is that an eliminator? So it's as much the promoters as it is the WBA's responsibility in this sense that if that's the eliminator you're going to make, don't make it. Just uh, say, all right, then Groves, you are the, the mandatory challenger. Well, I've got no idea it just came off the top of my head. Explain to me why this won't work or, or couldn't work. Why couldn't you categorise boxers in terms of, like, level? In terms of, let's say you categorise uh, boxers in terms of a Class A boxer, a Class B boxer, a Class C boxer. And when, as they beat certain people, they can Because move money up. would corrupt it within right. seconds of the implementation. Yeah, but I, said, I would give it about half hour until Eddie Hearn had got his checkbook out to manipulate his fighters. Molina has been recategorised from F to an A-class boxer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's essentially what the rankings do, but they get pissed about with, so... Oh, it's just so f- bloody depressing and frustrating. Yeah, so, I mean... It, 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 so, so, it's life-threatening. <laughs> I think about the rise in PED use, and then you start to think people might just get killed. But it's so bad that instead of talking about the performance of George Groves, we're talking about the risk that Gutnick was put at through taking this fight and staying in that ring. Just bizarre. I don't understand it. Um, Andrew Selby. Um, what happened with him? I didn't actually wow. see it myself. So, uh, well, I did, but I saw it on delay. So. Yeah, I saw. I saw bits of it. I was just so at that point. I was drifting in and out because I was actually quite concerned for for how good it was. So, a few text messages were going back and forth. Um, Selby's a guy you can just. You can fast track, and then this is my point. Like he has no business fighting guys who don't have belts anymore. You know, let's not waste his time. Let's not talk about oh he needs rounds and bouts to season himself. No, he doesn't. You he know, to marinate he, some he, brains. He, he reminds me of a young Andre Ward. So when they threw Andre Ward into the Super Six, and no one knew who he was, and he was that good that he was able to live with guys who are household names. And I think Selby's in that category of boxer where you can take a few risks with him, much like Josh Taylor as well. You can take a few risks with him and you can then say, right, let's try and get you into that world title picture in the next 12 to 15 months. Um, you're in the same division as Roman Gonzalez, admittedly, but most other people you're competitive against. I mean, he's talked about he wants um, Casemiro, doesn't he? Oh, the guy that fought Charlie Edwards? Yeah. I, he, yeah. Um, I think he'd do a better job than Edwards did. Just my opinion. There's something about training with the Sanagars that toughens people. Um, go back to the days of Glenn Catley, or just on Friday's example, you've got Selby, and you've got the lad that beat Paddy Gallagher, Tamuka Mucha, or Mucha Pondwa. I should give him the proper Zimbabwean name, you know. But, you know what I mean? These are tough guys, mentally strong guys who can execute a plan. So, I'm, I, I'd be confident against, for Selby against anyone. At the yeah, you're training down there with Lee Selby, with um, Lee, Haskins. Lee Haskins. Yeah, uh, it's a good, good place to be uh, based. Okay, so looking forward to next weekend. We've got um, at the Brentwood Centre on Friday. We've got a card coming on. Who's running it? Give us a lowdown. Right, so you've got a, a rare weekend where Frank Warren is putting on uh, two shows. And to be fair, they're two good shows as well. Um, so Brentwood Centre Friday night. 
Main event is um, Bradley Skeet defending his British welterweight title against John Thane. Um, then on the undercard of that, you've got an English title defence, a Lee Markham against Andrew Robinson. Uh, and then another good support fight is Boy Jones Jr. versus Martin Hillman for the uh, Southern Area Super Featherweight title. And then you've got Anthony Yarde on there. You've got Harley Ben, uh, one of the children of Nigel Ben, uh, making his debut. That sounds like a good card. Yeah, so I say the, the Bradley Skeet, John Thane one, uh, that was meant to be Shane Singleton that he was facing, and Singleton pulled out of it. So John Thane's a bit of a late replacement. It's not a bad replacement to get in, but I think Skeet will handle him fairly easily. Um, Lee Markham, Andrew Robinson. I don't know an awful lot about Robinson, if I'm honest, but uh, it was meant to be Joe Mullinder in the other corner for that uh, as a rematch from the fight on the David Hay undercard. But uh, Mullinder injured his shoulder. I think probably the best fight on there, like the closest fight, is Martin Hillman and Boy Jones Jr. for the Southern Area um, Super Featherweight title. Boy Jones Jr., six foot one, Super Featherweight, nineteen years old. Um, he's a bit wild, a bit mad in the ring. Um, let's say six foot one, Super Featherweight. You'd assume that he's somebody who's standing off at distance and you know using that range and what have you. But he's a former unlicensed fighter. He likes a scrap. He can box. His boxing is improving. He's wild, isn't he? It's, 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 I've only watched him once, and that was when we went. Uh, Frank Buglioni fight down yeah, at Wembley right, Arena. Yeah. Um, right, but he was he was entertaining. He's entertaining. God, he's entertaining. Yeah. yeah. If I'm honest, I'm surprised Martin Hillman's name is still on that card um, because Martin Hillman isn't somebody who's always gone through with the challenges that he's been set. Uh, we'll put it nicely like that. Um, I think Boy Jones Jr. I think if Boy Jones, not that I'm saying he could be like world class, but he's better than that level, I think. And he's also very entertaining. I think he will beat Hillman fairly comprehensively and stop him, would be my guess. Any views on it all, Terry? Um, I think that's, uh, we'll call this a Frank Warren beauty parade. So here, here's Frank Warren basically saying to BT Sport, BT Sport customers, this is what I currently have. And. This is what you'll, you'll never see. Yeah, this, this, is, this is the baseline. So Friday is here are the young guys we've got. Have a look, get excited, and then the Saturday show will be here. Here are our main level. Here are main event. Here are main event level superstars fighting a load of shit. <laughs> yeah, and 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 then we we still call that the Warren disease. And at some point, you know, we need to get past that because, as we said about grows and good necked this is getting dangerous now but credit where credit's due two cards guys are getting out bit of christmas money for them which is always good because as i say on this show let's not deprive people a chance of making a living so um i'll be watching that that one with interest um saturday's also you know eddie hearn's eddie hearn's chance to piss in the warren well i guess by putting his youngsters in you know, in what you can call step-up fights, although that term's open to interpretation. So, I think only one of know, them's got an opponent named, didn't they, at present? Um, so I, I still think Katie Taylor's fighting. Oh, sorry, I forgot. Yeah, so Katie Taylor will be fighting. She's fighting six two-minute rounds, and, and I have an issue with the two-minute round limit because you know people are paying for this. So <laughs> let's not treat it like it's a 
a ten pound at the door amateur show. It, guys, it you know? straight away turns it into less of a spectacle than a men's fight. You separate it from being a men's fight, um, and that's what I'm against. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't, I don't know, for those that are trying to take the sport seriously, straight away you turn it into what looks like an amateur fight by making it two minute rounds, I think that's poor. And people say, but they're doing six twos instead of four threes, and I say, look, the difference between boxing for two minutes and boxing for three is not just an extra minute, I promise you, it's huge. Yep. You know, it's, it's, it's three minutes you've got to then recover in one minute to go again for three minutes and recover. So you're slowly depleting, and psychologically that plays havoc with you. We have leapt somewhat, but now we're previewing... At this point in the conversation, we're now talking about the Saturday show at Wembley, is that right? Yeah, the matchroom show. Yeah. We'll come back to the Warren one in a second. Right, OK. Um, right, so, yes. so let's see, O'Hara Davis is still boxing, I assume. Yep. He's fighting Scarpa, is it? The guy that beat John Wayne Hibbert recently. Um, who's he did well in beating John Wayne Hibber. He did better than expected. He wasn't expected to come over and do that. So I think that's a legitimate test at this stage for Davis. I like that. I'm all right with that. Uh, we've got Ben um, Hall versus Carsten jo- uh, Carson Jones. <sighs> a fair test. Yeah, I mean, Carson Jones, who fought Brook twice, um, he was the one that caused Brook all manner of problems first time he fought him. Then came over and beat Brian Rose up in uh, Blackpool and then lost to him in the rematch. So, yeah, it's a reasonable test for Ben Hall. It's it's the hardest fight of his career so far. How does it go? I would be surprised if Hall lost it. Uh, I don't know whether he can stop him or not, but I think if it goes to points, I'd be surprised to see Carson Jones go home winning. Terry? And the thing about Jones is, Jones is one of those guys... You know, really unlucky that he never had a good setup around him when he turned over. Because had he done so, he would have been competitive. Because he's a, he's a good boxer. You watch him, he knows how to survive in the ring, but he also knows how to exploit. So if Ben Hall's not ready, he will get exp- he will get exposed in this fight. You know, so in that way, it's a good learning fight. Because if you beat Carson Jones, you'll find out a lot more about who you are as a boxer. Yeah, it's a good win for Ben Hall. If he comes away with that win, then it moves him on significantly from where he is now. I mean, let's not forget Ben Hall. Is he, uh, has he held the English title? I can't remember what the situation is. But uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a class talent, Ben Hall. So um, Carson Jones, is, is, is a, to some extent, he's a gatekeeper. For, he's a gatekeeper of that. Like, yeah. it's, it's a good test for Ben Hall. Make no mistake about it. And so if he comes through that, it shows you what level he's at now and could go on to. Um, Jake Ball is fighting. Oh, sorry. Did you want to say something, Jerry? Um, no, well, who's Jake Ball fighting? We, That's the question. We don't know. No idea. Uh, it's TBA, who's going to be quite busy oh, that yeah. night. Based oh, on, uh, yeah. yeah, he's a great fighter, isn't he? Quality. <laughs> Quality. But one of the fights I am quite interested in will be Reese Bomber Bellotti versus Ian Bailey. That's so a good I'm fight. Reese Bellotti is one of my ones to watch. Um, in the amateurs, love to dig shots in. Even then, you know, I mean, just like his younger brother Chris, high work rate, really intense fighters. And Ian Bailey. Now I remember Ian Bailey. I don't remember what what he fought for. I think he fought for like a Southern Area title. And he'd always been the unlucky man in boxing because he'd always get called for fights with two or three days' notice and taken absolute shellacking. So I went to watch him, and I can't remember what card it was. It was a, it was at York Hall, and I was with his family, which I didn't realize. And they were telling me, they were like, look, 
this was the first chance Ian's had to train properly. He'll do well. And I watched him in the first round, and I looked at him and went, you guys are lying to me. And I hear this guy has no chance in hell. And he came back from the brink to win. I think it was a Southern Area title. I'm not sure. And spectacular young man. Like, just the, you know, like the fortitude, and now the fact that he's now fighting for an English featherweight title. Just when you see those sorts of stories, I know sometimes I'm down on small hall shows, but those stories are your real life Rocky stories where these guys all have jobs as personal trainers or whatever, and they still find it in them to fight and entertain fans. I think you'll get stopped by Bellotti, but uh, it's a good fight. Again, it's a test for Bellotti. It's probably the hardest fight he's had in his career. So just going off my notes, there's another fight here. Um, Martin's helpfully written up these notes for me. And uh, I suck dick versus Tommy Coyle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's a great fight, that one. Uh, Tommy Coyle, he's going to get a mouthful out of that. It's, um, it's a real step-up fight for Tommy well, Coyle. Well, I'm assuming by that Tommy Coyle's subtle, pulled off. subtle description that you're not exactly impressed with the opponent. No, Tommy Coyle's pulled out of the fight against John Wayne Hibbert. Um, word is that he's split from Jamie Moore as his trainer. Um, John Wayne Hibbert may or may not be on the card still, but that was meant to be... I mean, that's in a sense like how little anticipation there is around this card in that uh, people are disappointed when Tommy Coyle versus John Wayne Hibbert isn't going ahead anymore. Just having fight Conor Ben. I agree. I agree entirely. Um, yeah. It would make you know, sense. Let's, yeah, let's not mess around. It's an in-house fight. You can do it in a day. Let them fight each other. You know, I'm, I'm tired of you telling, well, not you, Martin or Andy, but I'm tired of Eddie Hearn telling me that there are legitimately three or four good 140 guys. I'm like, well, let them fight each other. Yeah, no, absolutely. Just get on with it. We know that Tommy Coyle isn't going to go on and win a world title, so just use him as a, a benchmark for other fighters now. Um, Craig Richards, who's he fighting? No idea. <laughs> Jamie, I think he's fighting Jamie Ambler. And, you know, it reminds me, I need to get my T-shirts off him. Um, Craig moved down to middleweight, um, was never a heavy 168 guy, so he's moved down to 160. I personally ho hope it's a holding weight and that he goes back up to 168 when he grows a bit more. But it's another, you know, I mean, it, it's a progression for him. He's doing six threes now. Um, we want to get him in a position to be doing stuff like Southern Area English as soon as possible. You know, I'm, I'm always Team Richards because I, I've worked with him. I've seen him in the gym. I've seen him spar. I know how good he is. He's just one of those guys who needs just rounds and experience, and you will start to see what all the fuss is about. Probably another name I want to mention in that same breath, Danny Dignam makes his professional debut. Um, a guy I've mentioned before, uh, brother of John Dignam, who was a pro as well, and he was on Team GB for a couple of years, went out to Rio to help guys like Anthony Fowler with the sparring. And I think had someone been injured, he might have been the alternate to actually go in and fight. So Danny Dignan's really good. Southpaw, really, really, he's, he's, you know, he's slick. He's good skill set. Um, hopefully bring a lot of fans from sort of the, the East End of London slash Essex. But Danny Dignan's one to watch and I'm you know, hoping that he has a good debut. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly, it's a card that people should get behind. I mean, it doesn't have the headline attractions to it, but again, it's one where you've got the, you know, the next generation of fighters, similar to that York Hall show on the Thursday night that uh, the Sky had put on. This is just a, 
a highlight for a set of fighters that are going to be bringing up the next generation on Sky, hopefully. You know, all going well for them. Um, I think we probably ought to throw it back quickly to the Cardiff show on Saturday night. Um, so, I mean, on that, I mean, <laughs> it's a really, on paper, a very interesting show, the Cardiff one. So you've got the headline fight. It's a slightly bizarre way of running a show that you've got a British title fight as the headline, which is Liam Williams and Ahmet Patterson. Um, and then two undercard fights, which are world title fights. <laughs> so, uh, Billy Joe Saunders, Arthur Akavov, and Terry Flanagan, Orlando Cruz. Um, to be honest, I don't give a shit about either of those. Like, Billy Joe Saunders will beat up Akavov, but you won't beat him up too badly because it's Billy Joe Saunders. And Terry Flanagan will probably go 12 rounds with Orlando Cruz and win every single one of them. I'd be surprised Billy if Billy Joe Saunders else. will land one punch in the first round and then just cover up until he. If somebody lands a punch on him, that's when he tries to punch one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> He'll just park the bus for 12 rounds. You know, that's a painful experience of that being a fight. Uh, then you've got Tommy Langford, Sam Sheedy for the British uh, middleweight title, which is a good test for Tommy Langford. Uh, we'll see how good he is. He was meant to be fighting Chris Eubank. He's only really fought um, fairly average opposition to date, so we'll see how that goes. But, I mean, Liam Williams, Ahmed Patterson, that's a good fight, that. What do you reckon to, uh, to that one, Terry? Uh, you know, I was talking about Ahmed Patterson um, with a couple of mates of mine earlier in the week. He's an interesting character. I'm just... So psychologically, you'd watch him in the gym as an amateur. Devastating. Um, punched hard, punched fast, moved wonderfully. Had really, really good feet. And then one day, I remember him saying something on the lines of, I'm going to jack this all in to do street dance. And we didn't see him for, for absolutely ages. And we're like, what, what's happened to him? Because he's a guy who could have won multiple ABA titles. He's a guy who could have probably boxed in the Olympics. And then he resurfaced in the Peacock, saying that he wanted to go pro. And he went through a phase of, you know, going pro. And then he turned Turkish, if you remember, because I think his dad's Turkish. So he had his dad's surname. And then now he's gone back to Patterson, which I think is his mum's name. So he's had a very turbulent career up to now. But he is good. He's really, really good. Um, I've watched Liam Williams. I think Liam Williams is a bit basic. That's just my take on it, and that's not to be disrespectful to him. He's very much a Gary Lockett-style fighter with that high guard coming forward and hoping that he's fitter than the other guy. Have you heard this story before, guys? Let me know if you have. Of Gary Lockett? um, Just just these fighters with that high guard hoping you get tired towards the end so they can come on strong. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's a common story. So, so, so I think Patterson's a kind of dynamic fighter who will give Williams nightmares because Patterson's got quite long arms and is really good with the jab and the one-two. So it's a competitive fight. I think the money will still be on Liam Williams just down to experience and actually the, the tough training those guys do out in Wales. But, you know, I'm interested to see what Ahmed Patterson can do, actually, because this will tell us if if it's all talent or if, you know, he is the real deal. I think it's an interesting one. I mean, it's interesting. Liam Williams is taking some tough fights. He's on the back of the Gary Corcoran fight, isn't he? Which, uh, you know, there's a big hyped build-up for that. Those two, I think, genuine dislike between them. Probably a fight we'll see down the line again at some point. Um, I like Liam Williams. I think he's a, 
he's a spiteful puncher. He's a hard, hard puncher. Uh, and he's a, he's an exciting fighter. Like, if you want somebody who's going to willingly stand in the pocket and trade and watch that, then you'll, you'll get it out of Liam Williams. Whether that, if, you know, ultimately that kind of backs up to an extent what Terry says about being slightly basic. Um, it probably does, but it also means you get an exciting fight out of it every single time. Like Liam Williams isn't in dull fights particularly. Um, so I think this will probably be quite a, it'll be an intriguing one because Patterson's a very skilled fighter. Uh, and perhaps Williams has more heart, more grit, more desire out of it. So it will be a, an interesting mesh, I suspect. Okay, so... Um, oh, go on, sorry, go on. I was going to say, a couple of things I'm interested in in the Cardiff show are watching Nathan Gorman, actually. So we've talked a lot about Nathan Gorman as being the heavyweight that people have seen here and there, but no one's quite talking about yet. So I think this might be his first exposure on a Warren card. And if he does sign to Frank Warren, that's a useful addition. So good to see Nathan Gorman. And then Louis Adolphe. So Louis Adolphe used to box for Ellsfield as an amateur and was, I think he was ABA champion in 2012. Stop start career thus far. Him and Kurt Garvey sort of turned pro together and they'd been kind of plowing a furrow in, you know, in leisure centre fights out in Tolworth, Kingston, Southwest London just slowly building their profile. So it's good to see these guys now, you know, getting that attention on the Frank Warren card. Good stuff. Um, let's, I want to move on to the questions, but just before we move on to the questions, I just want to give a shout out to, um, at Kenza Gray, Kenza Gray, <laughs> and Stuart Dayden at Super Stew, because uh, they've asked questions that we've already covered in as much as they, uh, they've asked about the rematch with Cove 11 Ward, and if they, you know, if we see it being more decisive in Ward's favour in the second in the second fight. So, whilst I've already answered those questions, I just want to give them a shout out. Your questions were not wasted by any means. So, but we, we have um, a few more. Um, David McGinley has once again propped us up with some good old questions. Thank you very much, David. For the pod, how high do you rate Liam Williams? I'm a massive fan. How far can he go? So I, I think I touched on that. So if you watch the the Gary Corcoran fight. I know there's a fair bit of emotion in that, but I felt he could have made the night a lot easier for himself. I thought he was a better fighter than Corcoran, but let Corcoran have too much joy. I hope he's improved since then. I'm prepared to give him a chance in the Patterson fight, but I think you'll find British level will be his ceiling. It depends how long he's with Frank Warren as well, because if he's with Frank Warren, then world level will be his ceiling, because they'll find some... <laughs> dog shit <laughs> WBO title that they can uh, pick up for him or European minimum I mean uh, David McGinley asked if he wins his next fight I think it could be a great fight with Liam Smith uh, who would beat him in his opinion it would be the most obvious fight in Frank Warren's stable to make the only thing that is lacking is a world title around it which Frank Warren would want out of that because it's two of his kind of prized assets. The problem being, of course, that the WBO title now sits with Canelo. Um, so you're going to do well to prize that off of him. Um, I would like to see the Liam Smith fight. I think it is an obvious fight to make. Um, it's two guys from out west, you know, Smith from Liverpool and Williams from Wales. So, you know, they can build up a local rivalry around it. It would be an interesting fight. We... <laughs> Again, we don't really know how good Liam Williams is. We know that Liam Smith isn't as good as Canelo. Other than that, you know, it would be a good test for both. 
Right, we have another question which requires you both to uh, have a little think. Um, so you can answer them in sequence if you want to have a little think. But um, Devin McGinley asks, with the super fight last night, uh, it's brought to his mind the question of who are the top five pound for pound fighters in the world? <laughs> a mythical pound for pound list. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is always garbage, isn't it? Really, because you can't you can't answer it if any particular intelligence to it um you know saying that roman gonzalez would beat tyson fury if he was the same size as him is absolute bonkers <laughs> you can't well but just assume that we're pandering yeah to okay we'll, 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 audience. we'll go with it right for me uh, i'm not going <laughs> with any particular order to this uh ward gonzalez um frampton uh, golovkin and uh, if we're allowed Fury, I'll put Fury in there. If we're not allowed Fury, I'll probably put Kovalev in there, given you that he lost by want, a point. Um, what? How can you put any of those people on that list? That's terrible, Terry. Yeah, I've not given it a great deal of thought. <laughs> if I'm honest, sorry. Um, <laughs> so, so, agreeing with Martin, like this pound for pound thing is bollocks. What you're saying? That's not the point. Is... David McGillies <laughs> no, no, asked no, no, a question. No, 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 we no, have no, to be no, nice no, and friendly about no, it. No, 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 no. He's right to ask the question, but let's frame the question properly. Who do I think the best five boxers are in the world? Is what he really wants me to say. Not pound for pound. Who are the best five boxers in the world? And, you know, that's down to two things. Number one, are you a good technician? Number two, does your CV stack up? So based on that, you've got to put Ward at one because his CV at the moment is pretty stellar and, you know, can't really question that. I'm going to put Frampton at two because of the run he's been on in terms of just taking on anyone and not ducking. And then it gets trickier here. I'm going to put Fury at three because, you know, he's he's top of the heavyweight tree in recess or out of recess. And then I'm going to be controversial and it has to be... Oh, God, this is, this is not, this is not <laughs> pleasant. Terence Crawford. Yep. I think Crawford at four. And then, and I might regret this in mid-January, but DeGale at number five. Are you are you regretting it already or not? Well, <laughs> if he loses to Jack, I'm going to look very stupid. Well, that's why I've just put Kovalev in mine. He's just lost last night. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, Shah Mir at an African Shah asks, can we hear a little bit about Tara's Shalekchuk? One of you two can maybe... Shalekchuk. There you go. He's the least spoken about member of the Ukrainian 2012 team. Because he's the least talented. <laughs> <laughs> that no, sorry to burst the bubble, fair, but just... <laughs> you know, the guys of 2012 alumni and he's still kind of fighting club fighters. He hasn't really stepped up yet. Um, trained by Freddie Roach. We're all hoping that he does something, but until until he steps over the parapet, you know, for me, he needs to, he's just off the radar. To give people, you know, fantastic technician, but you know, outside of that, there's not much to write home about. Uh, five foot ten southpaw, rangy, defensively solid, but doesn't really have the power or the hand speed to really trouble in that kind of 140 to 147 range. So I don't know what Freddie Roach is going to do with him. He, he'll just be a guy kind of like 
um, Saddam Ali. You know, a guy that will be talked about on the blogs and the forums, but when it comes down to it, you know, the, the serious contenders in the division will, will lay waste to him. Um, so to give someone an idea about him, he's a 30-year-old world... He won the gold medal, didn't he? Terry in the Worlds, uh, bronze in the, in bronze in the Olympics. 315 fights in the amateur. Yeah, <laughs> but he's 30 years old, so you could well, I suspect, like they're not rushing him. He's had 13 <laughs> or 14 him. fights now against people with um, good records, but not good CVs. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, he's building up a nice little resume on paper, um, but they're not pushing him anywhere to, you know, get him near the level that somebody who's 30 years old with a gold medal at the World Championships and a bronze. How many professional fights has he had? 13, 14. So he's um, around about 330 fights. Yeah. Fight, he... Which works out to be about 22 years if he's in boxing for 15 years. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 so, so it's a weird one where. I think in the in Eastern Europe they have a different system. So they could have a show in their school, and you're 11 years old, and you box against your mate. That counts as a bout. And then two days later, you might mm-hmm. box against your other mate. That counts as a bout as well. So that they have loads and loads of bouts until people start to take them seriously. So maybe after like 80 or 90, if you're still unbeaten, you might box regionally or something like that. But it's not. It's it's completely different to how we do it here. It's all we run by Eddie people. Hearn, by the way. So, say again. It's all run by Eddie Hearn <laughs> <laughs> to build you up yeah. a twenty and zero record. <laughs> That's what the Latvian taxi drivers actually win <laughs> against the children. That's cool. <laughs> they just keep getting these blank checks every month <laughs> for a Mr. E Hearn. Just fill it in, lads. <laughs> we'll use you in a few years. Um, yeah. so for the less cultured among us, um, can you explain to us? What significance the Ukrainian 2012 team has and who was part of it? Um, Alexander Yusk was part of that, and I think Lomachenko was as well. Yep. Oh, okay. Well, that is our... Actually, that is our final question. No, there was one more in there. Was there? This geezer. Oh, yeah, well, I was going to come on to him, because it's not really... Well, I There's a question in there. Oh, right, okay. Fucking hell. All right, what Fuck I wanted... And he's been out on a piss last night, <laughs> you see. This is the problem. <laughs> I he's taking his eye off the ball, sexting week, people. I... He's been sending pictures of his penis out again. <laughs> yeah, but you said... I know, because I got him. From... I'm going to regret this. Well, we apologise in advance for Andy's pronunciation, yeah. but... Adenaris DMT... Uh, he commented, last week I spoke about Argue the Inarguable, said I was going to bring it back only if people wanted to hear it, blah, blah, blah. And he said, I love Argue the Inarguable. It's one of your trademarks. Even though I sometimes get lost due to my weak English level, I really enjoy it. Uh, I'd love to propose one, but I never find funny ones like yours. And when I've got a good one, I don't have my phone around. He really but, has low standards. If he I, believes <laughs> yours are good and funny. <laughs> like, Adonaris, I love you, man, for uh, sending us a message, but... Yeah, if your level is that Andy's arguing arguables are good and funny. Maybe it's the equivalent of a pat on the head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that argument. Oh, well done, Andy. Uh, the side didn't quite come through. But he also asks, in lieu of the fact that he can ask a decent arguing arguable, um, can Roy Jones Jr., uh, his demise after dropping down from heavy to light heavy, be attributed... To the sheer dropping in. Can I reword this question? Yeah, yeah, please do. 
Uh, right. So he had a question. What are the consequences of a boxer dropping down in weight? So can Roy Jones Jr. demise after dropping from heavy to light heavy be attributed to the sheer dropping in weight? What other causes could be involved? I'm still not quite entirely... Uh, so essentially what he's asking, is the, um, is the issue of dropping down in weight, uh, or what are the consequences of dropping down in weight? So for Roy Jones Jr., did he lose some of his... Because remember, he went up from middleweight to heavyweight and then came back down from heavyweight to light heavyweight. Was that drop the issue for him, or was there another issue? Um, so when Jones had gone up in weight, he'd already had his situations with Monty Griffin, right? And in the Monty Griffin fight, I think he was exposed for being, you know, not on the slide, but not as athletic as he had been in his peak when he was beating up guys like James Tony. So when he moved up to heavyweight, I'm sure that played on his mind where he thought, actually, I need to step up at some point. So I can understand the logic behind him moving up in weight to fight for a heavyweight title. But he had already been on the decline at the 168, 175 level. So when he came back down and he fought yep. Antonio Tarver, he fought a guy he had been boxing since they were 13 years old. So there's nothing Jones could have done to Tarver that he hadn't seen before. They'd boxed against each other for years. I think they boxed in the Junior Olympics in like 1982 or something. So they've sparred each other. They've been part of the international setup together before Tarver had his issues. So he fought the one guy he probably shouldn't have fought on his way back down and Tarver exposed him because Tarver knew exactly what to do to Roy Jones Jr. I think taking that weight off never helped Jones, but uh, is it always detrimental to fighters? I mean, I'm going to throw one very recent name out there of a man who's come down uh, from light heavy to super middle, didn't he? And that was bad Chad Dawson, who went and uh, got annihilated. (laughs) uh, He's been done by Stevenson and Ward, um, and then he's never really been the same since. Like He's a walking shell of himself now, but at the time, he was a very, very feared fighter. Um, dropped down, went back up, and now he's just floating around. I don't even know what weight he's fighting. If he's fighting now, um, you see his name occasionally thrown about. But that's another one that I don't think weight shifts in terms of going down helped him. Nathan cleverly went up to cruiserweight and has come back down to light heavyweight. I think the shift back down to light heavyweight has benefited him. Uh, he had a lot of potential weight. Uh, that he was carrying that he didn't need to carry when he was up at cruiserweight for the Bellew fight so is one example of a fighter where you know moving up in weight didn't benefit him at all uh, and actually moving back down to what is clearly I think his kind of uh, best or more natural fighting weight is beneficial to him uh, even if it means taking those pounds off that he carried for the Bellew fight yeah um, and let's remember cleverly started at 154 as well Yes. So you couldn't imagine him going back down to one five four to have a fight. But right, sorry. <clears throat> I, I was just saying, close. I think the challenge with weight is this: if you move up in weight simply because you didn't cut in your camp, like Kel Brook did, then it's it's okay to come back down. But if you go up in weight, like Jones did, and you kind of solidify, and a lot of that weight you've built up is lean muscle there are physiological consequences of that. Just your body gets used to moving slower. Right, so 
are we at the end, gents? Has anyone got any any other business to mention? Um, a couple of bits from me. So congratulations to Tyler McCleary last night from Toledo, Ohio. Another one of the conveyor belt of the Ohio Boxing Miracle, which has given us Robert Easter Jr., um, Gerald Tucker Sr., um, Aaron Pryor, rest in peace, Broner, Robert. I mean, so basically another one off that list. I think there were a couple more as well. Damani Rock Box as well. I know he's out of Philadelphia, but, you know, we're seeing a lot of the American young guys coming through now. So the, on that Ward Kovalev card, they did a, a good service to the young up-and-comers. So that was really good. Um, big shout-out to, to Mukamucha Pondwa again for doing his thing against the odds at Wembley. So be interested to see where his career goes from, from here on in. So that was a good fight. Unlucky to Conrad Cummings, who I thought got robbed in his decision. You know, yep. talented kid. And I think he'll come back again. Um, he's a lot better than what he showed in that fight. And he has a very bright future ahead of him. I didn't think that was a robbery as such, but I thought he won it. I think it will hopefully teach him a lesson not to be so lazy. Yeah. Um, sometimes you've got to work and you've got to you've got to be on that head movement from from the first bell. That's how you establish. It's how you convince the judges that you're in control of what you're doing. Um, lastly, to touch on this weekend, Lomachenko Walters. You know, we've gone from Ward Kovalev to Lomachenko Walters. You know, the Americans are showing us how to put super fights together. So everyone tune into that one. That's going to be interesting the power of Walters against the, the Garland Naus of Lomachenko. So a lot of parallels to what we saw last night. Lomachenko's one that if I'd have given it more thought would have ended up in my <laughs> top five pound for pound earlier and just completely slipped my mind. That's a pound for pound, mate. Sorry, yes. Yeah, best five. So, yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> a sensational fight. So another one where maybe uh, waking myself up in the middle of the night. Um, okay, so are we ready for Argue the Inarguable? Yep. At the request of uh, Adonaris Dutt. Well, look, he must represent, I reckon he must represent 50%. I mean, that's just a figure I've pulled out the air. Well, I mean, but... again, going back to Electoral College in America, wow. like, he's got a very big state, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, like, yeah. So, Anyone yeah. who contacts us immediately gets... They get a large percentage. 50% of the voting. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure what, what happens what if three when people... three people get in touch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 150% response rate. Um, How was your maths at school? <laughs> <laughs> right, so Terry, we'll start with you first. Oh, okay. Okay, really? The best way to promote women's boxing is to make it appear an inferior sport. Eventually, maybe we can have one-minute rounds with a wacky t-shirt competition added on the end. Foxy boxing. <laughs> I was slightly disappointed with the amount of clothing that was displayed yesterday evening. <laughs> I felt it detracted from the spectacle, and it was a spectacle, not a fight. So I think if we had far fewer clothes, far fewer clothes, we could almost redefine what bodywork was defined as, and maybe I give women's boxing an opportunity to be something different. <laughs> it brings its own tools to the table. Okay. Martin, Ward and Kovalev is a perfect example of why close, well-matched fights are not what fans want. Forget safety, forget competitiveness, we want two-round knockouts. So what you're asking about is what do fans want? As you can see today, as Terry mentioned earlier, the whole of the Twitter boxing family have just fallen out. 
Like, this is a wedding that's gone badly. This is when there's too much alcohol over Christmas. People have stormed out of the room. People aren't talking anymore. So you can't have close fights because you can't give fans that because people won't agree on shit. What you need is definitive one-round knockouts <laughs> that leaves nobody in any question whatsoever as to who the winner and who the loser was. Mark Demore forever. Yay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed our most recent podcast it's been a battle with the skype playing havoc with the smooth running if of you could see behind the episode. scenes if you could see behind <laughs> yeah, the scenes if we crash. lifted the veil i'll be up until about 4am editing but uh thank you very much to f- for your ears for this podcast and i guess all that's left to say is well actually get in touch at New Age Boxing UK on twitter and at the seven wolves and at new age podfather Ask us your questions, argue the inarguables again, 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 just more and more and more, and we'll squeeze them in. And as ever, we are grateful for your input. Unless either, either of you two have got anything else no, to add? Tell us what you think. Say. Good, bad, indifferent. The fact that we've managed to leave Lomachenko off a top five list uh, was quite impressive. Um, but yeah, tell us what you think. Come back to us, interact, let us know. Terry? Um, just to say, listen, cheers, guys. Yeah, keep listening. Keep following, keep engaging on Twitter. Um, it's all appreciated. Now, if you knew the amount of work the three of us put into this, and uh, you know, we do it for fun, but we also like to think, you know, we help enliven people's days as well. So, cheers! <laughs> <laughs> all right, thank you very much, everyone, and see you next week. Take care, one and all. I can fit it up, I can fit it up, I can fit it up.